You're, 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 you're listening to the Mr. James Carrington Podcast. Carrington back with a brand new episode. Can we turn this mic up a little bit? Let's do that. Let's turn this mic up a little bit. But anyway, uh, you already know how we do on the show. Um, while the music is playing, make sure you get yourself a glass of wine glass of orange juice Papa Zanny do whatever it is you need to do to get yourself in a relaxed and quiet place put away all distractions roll you a big fat blunt if that's your thing cause this here show is gonna be a, a good one an interesting one lots of stories so don't go nowhere don't change that channel don't turn off this device I will be right back. Bless me. 
boys, boys, I wado. Missy, but so my dry. Girls, girls, I wado. Missy, yet you cry and my sponsors, I wado. Missy, but so my dry. Work inside, I wado. Missy, yet you all right all right <clears throat> first and foremost i'd like to give a couple shout outs okay first shout out goes to the to the economy of ghana which seems to be in the shitter in my british accent as i speak with no hope of turning around whatsoever okay the last episode, I was telling you of some people who owe me money down there. And um, all I can say is uh, I wish them luck in getting my money for me. Okay. Apparently, the amount of money in circulation is kind of low right now. Okay. I don't even know how that is possible. The banks don't have dollars. So let's say if you're trying to buy some dollars on the on the on the market, you can't get it because the banks don't have it. That's what someone has told me. And apparently they don't have any CDs either. CDs is the local currency, by the way. Okay, and how do I know this? Because people are talking to me. Okay. Every now and then there are people who owe me money in dollars and then there are people who owe me money in cities. So a, a colleague of mine went to the bank to get 10,000 cities. And he was told that they wouldn't be able to, the bank told him that they wouldn't be able to furnish him with a lump sum. And that he had to get it in installments. That's bad. It's bad and, and, and it's a reflection of the times that they're in. It's a reflection of the economic times that they're in. I mean, it, it, it almost from everything that I'm hearing and seeing on social media. And these are from reputable sources and from first-hand accounts. These are coming from friends who live down there. These are coming from relatives who live down there. Um... It almost seems as if the uh, the economy of Ghana is teetering on uh, on collapse. Okay, and it's sad because just just six years ago, just seven years ago, the the impression that Ghanaians were given, the, the the narrative that was coming out of the nation was that the previous administration was so incompetent and so corrupt. And that uh, there needed to be change. Which is fine. Okay. Change is a constant in life. If you're doing things one way. You're doing things in a certain way. Or you're dealing with certain conditions. And those conditions are not. You know. Enabling you to. To thrive in life. Well, you have to change those conditions. And that is what Ghanaians sought to do at the time. Okay. So they opted for change. And um, they got change, all right. They got change. But you see, there is such a thing as a change for the worse. 
And that's what they're experiencing right now. That's what Ghanaians are experiencing right now. Okay, they went from the frying pan into the fire, even though they thought that wasn't possible. Okay. All week, all week, people kept posting screenshots of fuel prices in Ghana. Okay. They've skyrocketed. And if, if, you know, if you're from an underdeveloped nation like Ghana, you know that even a slight increase in price um, in the fuel, in the prices of fuel, uh, almost immediately, immediately affect the prices of everything else. Okay? The effect is felt at once. There is no buffer. There is no uh, period of waiting um, for you to absorb the shock. Uh, the, the, the impact is felt immediately. In case in point, when I used to live down there and I would take public transportation, I remember, and you know, this is when I was a teenager, you know, so we, we didn't really understand economics and all that stuff, how the prices of oil and crude and all that stuff. I didn't know any of these things, neither did uh, most of my colleagues, because we were, we were kids. Uh, when I say teenagers, we were kids, basically. But anyway, and I would remember, you could take, you could get on public transportation from point A to point B. And you, you would get on the bus in the morning and they would tell you maybe it cost 10 Ghana cities to travel to your destination, right? And this is a one-day trip. You're, you're returning that very day. So you get on the bus. You have 20 Ghana cities. You've budgeted exactly for two trips, okay? Well, you get on the bus. You get to your destination. You handle your business. And on your way back, you get on the bus and now the driver or whoever is collecting the fare is telling you that it's 15 cities. And you're asking them, 15 cities? Just eight hours ago, I paid 10 cities. And their response to you is, oh, well, the, the price of fuel went up. Didn't you hear? That's how immediate the effect is. And, you know. The, the, the beauty of all of this is you can't even say that the claims I'm making are exaggerated because you always have the internet there to back my claims. That is the beauty of the internet. So you want to see what's going on in Ghana, just go online and, 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 and go do the research and you'll realize that um, Ghanaians are suffering. Ghanaians are suffering. And, in, and even in spite of all this, in spite of all the overwhelming evidence, right? Of course, you always have those that are in disbelief. You always have those that are detached from reality. You always have those that are just in plain denial. And you will always have those that are just completely ignorant of what's going on. One person who is completely ignorant of what's going on in Ghana, or I would 
I wish to think that he's ignorant of what's going on in Ghana is the pastor TD Jakes. Okay. And I bring him up because just this past week there was a video of him there was a video circulating of him promoting um Ghana, which is a good thing. Promote Ghana, you promote the country. That's good for the country. Okay? But he was promoting Ghana and his talking points in using to promote the country were completely opposite of what's actually going on in the country right now. Okay? He wasn't keeping the 100. And he was reading from something which clearly had been authored for him or doctored for him. Um, and and again, I'm, I'm really trying to give T.D. Jakes the benefit of a doubt here because he's a man of God. Okay, he's a supposed man of God. So, but then again, you guys know how I feel about these so-called pastors and preachers. I don't trust any of them, right? But let's just even say for the sake of integrity and character. Let's not even dwell on morality. There's, let's just say integrity and character and reputation are everything that matter to T.D. Jakes, right? Let's just say for the sake of that, he's banking his reputation on whatever he puts out there. That is why I'm saying maybe, that is why I, w- I would think that when he was, when he was giving this speech, to his congregation maybe he didn't know what he was talking about maybe he sincerely in his heart truly believed what all the things that he was saying so he was promoting ghana and he was extolling all the virtues of of uh, ghana and and all that ghana has to offer and and all the good things that this current administration has done for the country and all that stuff and and i'm sitting there like what the fuck is T.D. Jakes talking about? Everything that he's talking about is the complete opposite of what is happening there right now. Now I can understand if T.D. Jakes was a Ghanaian and was a member of the current administration, a card-carrying member of the current administration, then I'd be like, oh, well, he's just trying to, you know, He's just trying to hype up his party, you know, because that's what you do when your party is in power, right? But T.D. Jakes is an American. Who doesn't live in Ghana? Yeah, he's been to Ghana supposedly a few times. And I know that uh, pastors in Ghana have visited his church and preached at uh, at his altar to his congregation. Case in point, um, Reverend uh, Bishop Duncan Williams. Duncan Williams is a big time pastor in Ghana and he's friends with T.D. Jakes. And I've seen him preach on T.D. Jakes' stage. So then one begins to wonder, uh, you know, because I guess Duncan Williams, I guess Duncan Williams is is uh, a supporter or a member of the current administration. I don't know. I don't know what his political affiliation is, but I'm just trying to put two and two together here. Okay, T.D. Jakes comes to talk to his congregation and he's talking about how great Ghana is and how the people of Ghana are doing so well. When in reality, the people of Ghana are not doing that great. But then I know that he's friends with 
Duncan Williams. And Duncan Williams seems to be, uh, what's the word? Seems to be in political cahoots with the current administration or not. I don't know. But it makes me question that, right? Either way. So TD Jakes was saying all this stuff about Ghana and how great Ghana is and how the current president has done all these wonderful things for Ghana and and um and I I I was just watching the video in disbelief. <laughs> I was watching the video in disbelief because I was like he can't possibly believe what he's saying right now. You understand? So, for those of you who, I, I was thinking about playing the, the video for you guys, but it's going to take up too much time on the show. And just go online and go Google TD Jake's Ghana speech or something. And then, when you're done, again, go and do your research on what's going on in Ghana. Just type in Ghana World Bank. Google Ghana simultaneously with the words World Bank or Ghana debt or Ghana euro bonds do all that put that all together and let the, the Google engine spit out a result for you and you come back to me and tell me whether the results that you got were a, pos a, a positive or optimistic outlook on the nation as a whole it's crazy so all I can say is uh, you guys um, I wish you luck I really do I wish you luck um, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive out there and the bigger point to all of this is what, what, what is happening in Ghana right now this total disappointment in leadership and its way of governance and where the country and its citizens find themselves right now is the same thing that happened in Nigeria or is happening in Nigeria right now. Okay. The president of Nigeria right now is a gentleman by the name of Buhari and this is for my non-African listeners. The president of Nigeria right now is a man named Buhari. Now, Buhari came into power. He rode the wave of populism. And came into power about just about the same time that Ghana's president came into power. Now, he came in promoting uh, anti-corruption measures, saying that he was going to clean up Nigeria. And Nigerians at the time had a president by the name of Jonathan Goodluck. And Nigerians were complaining about good luck. Okay? Nigerians were saying good luck was not a good... Uh, he was not a good president and, and that they were suffering and all that stuff. And he was corrupt. He had a, a, a corrupt... Uh, a cabal of corrupt ministers and as if that has not always been the case in Nigeria right 
So Buhari comes in on this whole anti-corruption creed and mantra and, and Nigerians vote him into power. And as soon as he gets into power, he opens the coffers of the Nigerian treasury only to find out that it's empty. But he is at that time banking on the hopes that since Nigeria is an exporter of oil, he will be able to quickly fill up the coffers with oil money and get to work fixing the nation. Well, right around that same time, the price of crude drops. Okay? And so he's not even getting money from oil. He's not making that much money from oil. And at the same time, the terrorist group Boko Haram is in the north of Nigeria. And they are inflicting terror on the people of Nigeria. So basically, he inherits a presidency that is just rife with troubles and problems. And Buhari is not in, is not the fittest person. Okay, he's not in the best of shape. This guy is old, he's fragile, he's going in and out of the hospital and stuff. So now Nigerians are like, yo, what the fuck is going on? I thought you said you were going to come make life easier and better for us. I thought you said, you know, as soon as you come into power, the very next day, we're all going to be driving, uh, driving Bentleys and Ferraris. I don't see a Ferrari in my driveway. What's going on, Mr. President? You are a disappointment. <laughs> a funny story, right? When Buhari was in power, I think it was maybe about a year or two after he came into power, my mother-in-law came to visit us from Nigeria. And we took her to Washington, D.C. <laughs> we took her to Washington, D.C. to go see the White House, right? So we're out there. It's a beautiful day. Uh, the sun is out. I mean, it was just a beautiful day, okay? Tourists are out. People are staring at the White House. This was when they uh, they would allow you to go all the way to the White House and touch the fence, okay? They don't do that anymore. Now they, they actually have a barrier. Like, you, the, the fence is far away from you now. Anyway, so we're there and we're taking pictures and whatnot. And she gets a phone call from my stepdad. I mean, not my stepdad, my father-in-law, um, her husband. And her mood, whatever he said to her, her mood immediately went from just being happy and and just, you know, vivacious to just gloomy and somber and angry. <laughs> and so, you know, she was so angry. And she started telling me what my father-in-law had uh, had told her. Apparently, the prices of rice and gari gari is is you got to be African to know what gari is. I don't feel like explaining what it is, but anyway, gari is a staple, okay, of diets down there in in West Africa, most West African countries. So she's telling me that the price of rice and gari went up overnight, and you know, the thing with African nations is when the price of commodities jump up, it's not like, you know, the 2%, 3% jump. It's like one of those, you wait, like I said, you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, something costs 50 of the local currency. You wake up and it costs 80 
of the local currency. That type of jump. And so whatever you have budgeted for the day or for the week or for the month, you have to immediately rebudget. And God help you if you don't have the money to make for the adjustments in inflation. So anyway, so my so my mother-in-law is like, you know, my husband just called me and he's saying that the 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 price of a bag of uh, rice just went to went from I don't know whatever it was at the time 800,000 to 1 million naira or something. And and the price of Gary went from 40,000 a bag to 80,000 a bag. And she's going on and clearly she was she was visibly upset. My, look, my mother-in-law was so upset. She started she was talking to me and she started to kind of veer into the middle of the street and there was this big tourist bus coming. <laughs> so I had to go grab her arm and pull her back onto the sidewalk like mommy mommy you, you gotta be gotta be careful now i understand you're upset at all but i mean you're not gonna be upset to the point where you're going to risk life and limb here you know <laughs> oh man i can only imagine if she was in nigeria and she heard the news you know But anyway, so I say all that to say this. Buhari can figure it out. Ghana's president can figure it out. But this is emblematic of what all world leaders are experiencing right now. Especially, especially those in underdeveloped nations. The world economies are not doing well. And I keep, I've told you guys time and time again in previous episodes that, you know, um, the middle class is shrinking wherever you go. Except for maybe one or two countries that come off the top of my head. But for the most part, a lot of people are suffering wherever they find themselves. And so, you know, especially in third world nations, third world, the leaders of third world nations, particularly in Africa, are trying to figure out, they're besides themselves, and they're trying to figure out how do we fix this? Because a lot of them came in making a lot of promises to their civilians, to their fellow countrymen, that, hey, listen, you guys are suffering. You know, if you came into power around... The la- in the past eight or so years, you more than likely came in because the people of your country wanted change. And now you're in power and you can't bring about the change that the people desire. And not only that, but things have gotten worse. Thanks to Corona. And so these leaders are besides themselves. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And for some of them, instead of just, you know, Instead of just saying, okay, people, you know what? We fucked up. We made a lot of we made a lot of promises that we can't keep. And we fucked up. They can't do that because they know that'll be political fodder for their opposition. And so what some of them are choosing to do is to just remain silent. They're not even saying anything at all. Or some of them are trying to be defiant. Okay? 
some of them are trying to be defined they're trying to use their military forces and their whatever to 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 quell quell revolts and you know crush the people into submission like you know what fuck off we came into power and we we realize we can't do anything but you know at least we can crush you silence whatever voices of dissent seem to be arising in the country right now you see that is what's happening the bottom line is countries that have adopted democracy in africa or in most third world countries most underdeveloped nations and are being hit with this global financial crunch are the people in these countries are suffering and one of the 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 conclusions that can be drawn from that is democracy the democracy is not working most sub-saharan african nations especially west african nations adopted this whole model of democracy started developing their democracies their fragile democracies about 20 years ago 25 years ago and have nothing to really show for it yeah there are bugattis out on the streets in most african countries now yeah there you can see bentleys and everything but is the average african is the average west african is the average west african benefiting from all of these so-called economic booms My answer to that would be an emphatic no. It would be an emphatic no. The average West African is suffering and is crying for help. Will someone respond to their cries for help? It remains to be seen. Let's take a break. We go blow control, best roll, you be misflowing. Baby, you make a nice up, you make a rise up, you be my life ball. Who do want light up? Spice up my life more. Why I go the lie, yo, my god. Flow king, say my door says, Girl, you make a rico. You make a rico. Girl, you make a rico. You make a rico, say me, Is a privilege, Zaga. Enough man have. Remember that. Bad minds are disease. Sure. Some man who are catch. Yeah. Well, I never bust a chain or me never pick a pocket. Never see a old man bag and try grabbing. Everything me have, you know me work hard for it. So I some nothing here got bad mind me for it. Every day them see me out a road and me a flat. Buy me one a liquor, so me have me one a glass. Girl them sexy and me close them.
them so sharp. So who no like me style, tell a boy if it's a cop. So, them a watch everything, them real weird. Them no see the hard work, and me do for me career. But, them a wonder how me things them so weird. Them want kill me for the care when me a steer. But me are no dirty. Me are clean. Clean like the water from the stream. Me mind no dirty. Me think clean. I will never go jump for your queen. Me are no dirty. In the last segment, I asked, I asked you guys if they, if you, if you thought the average West African is benefiting from the economic boom that we sometimes see right after an African nation fully adopts democracy. And, and I ask that because, believe it or not, right, <clears throat> a nation like Ghana, we'll use Ghana as an example, because that's the only one I can really, well, not the only one, but that's the one I can fully relate to. Take a nation like Ghana, right, right when it decided to go full-blown democratic, okay, there was no more dictatorship, the people were free to choose who they wanted to lead the country and all that good shit. Right when that happened, or usually, let me speak, actually, let me speak generically. Usually, when that happens, what you see is when a country announces to the world that we're, we're, we're a democratic nation now, we're not run by a, by a dictator and a tyrant and all that stuff what you usually see is this there is always this first of all there is there is it generates a lot of interest in the nation from the west of course it helps if the nation is sitting on some you know some uh minerals and resources right so first there's it generates a lot of interest and then once that interests, the interest of the rest of the world or of the Western world has peaked, then there is all of a sudden there is this massive influx of foreign investments. Okay, you immediately start to see the foreign money rushing into the country. And that's, you know, the reason for that is simple. Investors don't like to dump cash into nations that are dictatorships. Or dictatorship led because the risk of you losing your money is high. I mean, think about it. Would you like to invest in North Korea right now? Would you like to go set up factories in North Korea? No. And the reason for that is simple. One, it'll be difficult. And two, uh, North Korea is so isolated because of its dictatorship government that let's say even let's say Let's even say they allow you to come and invest in there. You build a factory or whatever. They can kick you out at any time and nationalize your factory. And there's not, nothing you can do about it. Anyway. And another point is. That is not to say that nations that are ruled by dictators. Don't have foreign investments in them at all. Okay. They do. But the thing is. The full potential. Is not totally reached. When it comes to investing in such countries. Because they are dictatorships. 
the 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 only kind of uh, investments you find in such nations are investments by you know um, by major by major Western companies. You know, like let's say oil companies and stuff like that. Big, I'm talking big multinational companies, okay? Um, which seek to exploit the nation of its reserves. Like, for instance, you you have, I think, ExxonMobil in Equatorial Guinea, right? Uh, these are big, com- big companies and corporations. And they go into the country that are dictatorship-led or dictator-led. And they strike deals, not with the government per se, but with the ruling dictator. Like, hey, you know, uh, Mobutu, let us come in here and give us uh, exclusive rights to loot and plunder your country of uh, of all the diamonds that, you know, is sitting underneath your, your, feet, your feet. And, um, you know, for every... 20 billion dollars in diamonds that we pull out we'll, we'll give you a billion dollars right now to the ruling family that's a lot of money i mean you know a billion dollars is a lot so these dictators don't mind doing businesses or doing business with businesses that seek to exploit their own countries so that's a this that's a different form of investment. It is still an investment nonetheless on the part of the major corporation. But the thing is, even though there's a lot of risk involved, they have given the dictators such a huge incentive at the expense of the citizens of the nation that they know the dictator is not going to kick them out at any point in time. Okay? As long as they honor their promise that for every $20 billion worth of diamonds that they, or whatever it is, oil or whatever that they extract out of his home country, as long as they give him a billion dollars, he's fine. Okay? And I use Mobutu as an example because he is a prime example of what I'm talking about. Mobutu, who was the president of Zaire, at the time of his death, was estimated to be worth about $5 billion. $5 billion dollars had mansions in france and all over the place five billion dollars one man meanwhile his people were living on less than i don't know two dollars a day so um so whenever a nation first declares that it's going fully democratic again there's always this massive influx of foreign cash okay into the country rushing in to do business and ghana was no exception to this as a matter of fact ghana's third democratic term which was overseen by his excellency president kufour right um, coincided with the discovery of oil in ghana okay so needless to say the country opened up even more for business it was already opening up okay from the rawlings era uh businesses foreign businesses and foreign businessmen weren't scared to come into the country and do business because they knew that you know right now the the country was wide open so then 
again speaking generically again so there's always this brief period where nations when they go full democratic that there's there's an economic boom of sorts and with it a few people immediately are propelled from being regular average joes to multimillionaires because these are these are the the guys who are in 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 well-placed positions and are right at the cusp when the country turned democratic and are there to be the first ones to greet the people bringing the foreign cash into the country you understand so they are there at the right time and in the right position and they are the ones that usually amass a lot of wealth within a very short amount of time they benefit from the country going democratic and with this sudden influx of wealth um they're able to do things like import luxury cars that have never been seen before into the country okay all of a sudden you start seeing the first ferrari the first lamborghini the first bugatti the first rolls royce that's when you start seeing things like that that's it's it's when countries first go democratic um and then all of a sudden you see the skylines of the cities especially the capital cities start changing high rises start going up and basically you see a nation that's starting to prosper somewhat economically okay but the thing is based on what we've seen over the past 20 years it it seems as if it that phenomenon hits a plateau and that's what you're seeing now in Ghana and Nigeria the economies have hit a plateau where they're not growing anymore. They're shrinking. They started shrinking even before COVID. Okay. And so, whereas, you know, at a point in time, the country was doing a little well. There was, you know, there was, there was this uber class of wealthy individuals on the very top. But at least they were able to create industries that provided jobs right now now that the economies are not doing so well what do the wealthy do when the economies are not doing well they hold on to their cash or they invest them not in people but they invest them a lot of times they don't even invest them in the countries that they reside in them so they invest them overseas if I was a multimillionaire living in Ghana, you think I would invest in Ghana at this point in time? No, I would invest in the American stock market because I'm guaranteed some returns in the American stock market than in my own country. And so what that, ha- what, what, what that creates is, a, is an economic situation whereby there are no jobs, okay? And the average Ghanaian at a point in time when he was, you know, he, he could count on at least getting... A semi-decent job now even that has been taken away from them but anyway so that is what that is what is happening i mean i'm not an economist but i'm not stupid either okay and um and if you're listening to this show i know you're not stupid either okay and you can basically Tell that what I'm saying is the truth. It doesn't take rocket science to go back in time 
and review everything that I've said and realize, yes, this is exactly how it has played out in the past 20, 30 years. Or maybe in Ghana's uh, situation of Ghana, 20 years, 25 years at most. Because we adopted democracy uh, in 96, I think. Or was it 94? Can't even remember. But the thing is, democracy comes with its pitfalls. And that is one of the pitfalls is what you're seeing now. Okay? Power goes back and forth between one of two parties. And, 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 and all that the politicians basically do is blame one another for uh, the country's woes. And try to persuade the public that, you know what, you need to keep us in power indefinitely. Don't even consider the other group. And what happens? The one group comes into power. They do what they can or whatever. Of course, there's always a lot of corruption going on too. And, and then at that time, the opposition is yelling, oh, look at them over there. They're doing this. They're doing bad things. They're bad people. Don't vote for them. Vote for us come election time. And then election time comes. The masses vote for the other party. The other party gets in. And they start doing the same thing they were accusing the previous party of doing. But again, there are levels to this shit. Every now and then, one party might be fucking up more than the other. Every now and then, one party might be fucking up more than the other. Anyway. I wasn't even planning on on going on a rant today about this shit right here. But, you know, it needed to be said. It needed to be said. But let's switch gears. I promised you guys on the last episode that for this episode, I was just going to talk about my trip to Ghana. I have spoken about Ghana this whole for the past 45 minutes, but I haven't really talked about the, the, the Ghana trip itself. So let me gather my notes and uh, let's take a quick one minute break I'll be back just give me one minute I'll be back I need to go grab my journal so I can get back to the exact point where I left off don't go nowhere and I go love you even though they hate you my mommy don't even see you I no no what to do 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 I be your Scooby do do sugar Them say you do me like mumu I no no what to do 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 I be your Scooby do do So two episodes ago is when I is when I I first got off uh, 
got off the trail telling you guys about my trip to Ghana. So let's 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 head back to the trail. So I told you guys um I left you on my uh my second Friday in Ghana, which happened to be the 23rd of July. Now the 24th, the following day, which was a Saturday, was going to be a big day because um I had promised my cousin, the cock blocker, before I came to Ghana that I would have a party for her. Okay, a birthday party. So what I decided to do is, again, I told you how we went and scouted locations and we found um, a place. We found a place in, um, it's, I think it's Labadi or is it Nungua? I don't know. One of those places by the, by the ocean, coastal, coastal town. And um, very beautiful hotel. And, um, you know, they had a pool like on the sixth floor and a bar and everything. And that's where we're going to have. So basically, we were going to have a birthday party, but it was going to be an all white birthday pool party. Okay. That's what we're going to do. So, you know, Saturday came around. And, and, and what made that day also significant is. That was the day my, my, my buddy in crime, George, arrived. He landed that day. And um, he, so basically, I was in Ghana for a week before he landed. Okay, so, and we decided, we, we eventually, early, we were going to have the party even a little bit early. But he, he told us to hold off on it till he landed. So, I held off on it and um, waited for him. So he landed on that on the day that we were having the party. Okay. So that day, you know, it was, it was more of an exciting day. It was like more exciting for my cousin. Uh, you know, she was running up and down everywhere, just trying to uh, tie up all loose ends and, and, you know, some last minute preparations and whatnot. You know, there was a seamstress that was uh, tailoring a dress for her. It's a very beautiful dress. It came out really nice. It was this pink, pink dress. Um, and she had her hair and makeup and all that stuff. It was nice. It was nice. Um, or she looked nice, I should say. And um, I don't even remember what I was doing during the daytime. I, I think I was just lollygagging. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know basically all day we were just waiting just building up in anticipation to having the party and we started getting ready around i think it was like around 2 p.m we started getting ready um so tell me why we told people to start coming in i think we told people to start coming in like around 4 4 p.m I think told people to start coming in around 4 p.m. So the seamstress that was working on my cousin's dress. <laughs> my cousin calls her like around 2 o'clock. Asks her, is the dress almost ready or is it done? She's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just putting the finishing touches on it right now. Just putting the finishing touches on it. Okay. When she said that to my cousin, I immediately knew my cousin was in trouble. 
I immediately surmised from that conversation that the dress was not ready. Okay? So, I didn't say anything. Me, my shit was ready, you know. I, I think by three I was dressed and I was already heading out of the door. So by three o'clock, my cousin calls the seamstress again. Now the seamstress is saying something about, oh, it's not done, something, something, they got to do something, something, whatever, whatever. So now my cousin is starting to panic. (laughs) Oh, man. And, um... But I, I started heading out. I told her to calm down and, and you know, just figure it out. And uh, you guys remember the driver, Joe, right? So me and Joe were heading out. And the whole time, Joe was like, You're James, James, I kept telling your cousin yesterday. I kept telling your cousin that she should get the dress, try to get the dress done by yesterday and have it delivered yesterday being Friday, not the day of the party. I kept telling your cousin that she wouldn't listen. And I said to Joe, I said, well, uh, I don't know about you, but I am not worried about it. Okay. (laughs) Because, you know, my cousin is a grown ass woman. She should know by now. She should have had her fair share of disappointments from Ghanaians delivering and uh, I mean, promising and not delivering on time. She should know better. Just like Joe did. Joe knew better. And that's why Joe was telling her that, hey, listen, you need to. You can't wait till the last minute. You know how Ghanaians are. You can't wait till the last minute. They'll disappoint you. But my cousin being the laid back, uh, nonchalant, lackadaisical type that she is, she decided not to take Joe's advice. So now that the day was upon us and she wasn't hearing what she wanted to hear from the seamstress, she started panicking. Anyway, Like I said, me and Joe headed out. We went to the place. But we were still in touch with her. We were still communicating with her to, you know, so we could get updates. Now, bear in mind, we told people to start coming in like around 4. Okay. So, like around 3.45, my cousin tells us that the seamstress finally sent the dress She sent a courier with her dress. Okay. The courier gets to the hotel. Takes the dress up to my cousin. They open up the package only to find out that is not my cousin's dress. Hmm. (laughs) Yay. See now the, the African in me is coming out. The Nigerian in me is coming out. But anyway. So then she had to send it back. Anyway, long story short, my cousin didn't end up getting to the party like around, I would have to say maybe like around 530. That's when she finally made it to the party. Okay. So she comes in by the, and, and by then people had started coming in. I invited a, uh, a few of my friends, my guy friends. Um, I told my cousin to invite her female friends. So, you know, 
um, my friends, some of them had arrived. And, um, you know, now that I look back, that party could have been organized a little better. We could have organized that party a little better. But again, the organization of the party and, and you know, that was all. I left that all to my cousin because I told her, organize the party, put it together. I'll just pay for it. I'm not here to concern myself with the logistics. Okay. Yeah, there were a few things that I, I kind of reminded her about and try to tell her, look, listen, try to get this and that in order because, you know, you don't want to um, mess up on that. Like when it comes to like the drinks and the food and make sure the food, you know, make sure they know how much food to serve and stuff like that. Okay. So we went, we went, uh, we started the party and people started coming in and, Ah, man, some people came in. People were coming in in spurts, okay? And my cousin is calling her friends. She's calling her friends. And they're all like, oh, we're on our way. We're on our way. Needless to say, nobody showed up at exactly 4 o'clock. I mean, maybe there were one or two people that showed up at four o'clock, but people were coming in sporadically and they weren't even coming in like, okay, let's say a group of 10 people or 20 people coming at once at, let's say 415 or 420. It was like two people would come in at like 430 and then another two people would come in at like 530 and then three people would come in at like 630. It was something like that. But at that point, it didn't matter. Uh, we were there to have a good time regardless okay and um and the dj the d the, <laughs> the dj was late in coming to the party the dj got there like around i think the dj got there like around five o'clock okay joe was the one who got us the dj and God willing, the next time I go to Ghana and I plan on having a party, I am not letting Joe get a DJ. Because the DJ that he got us was whack as hell. <laughs> oh, man, that DJ was whack. First of all, this motherfucker shows up late. Okay. He shows up late. As the, the DJ, you're one of the first people that should show up you should be one of the first people to show up so you can set up your equipment and start fine-tuning it this motherfucker showed up late because apparently he was coming from another engagement and not only do you show up late but then you're a whack too so anyway dj shows up and like i said people start coming in and um so like right around maybe like right around maybe seven o'clock, you know, it, it had it had kind of started popping off. Like around seven, seven thirty, you know, people, people, there were quite a few people there, okay. And um, and um, you know, we were we were starting to socialize and whatnot. And uh, there were these two young girls, these two young ladies that came in, courtesy of my cousin, and. Uh, they were as far as the, the, the young ladies go, they were the two baddest ones in there. 
they were the two baddest broads that came in there. Uh, one dark, well, they were both dark skin, but the one had dreads. And I think I mentioned them earlier uh, in the first episode, in part one of this series. I, I, I mentioned them briefly. So the one, these two girls were from, they were both from the small town that my cousin and I grew up in. That's how she knew them. Um, the one was, uh, was an engineering student. So, you know, she was no dummy, thick, little thick, dark skin beauty. She had dreads, very cute. The other one was a much slimmer one. Um, she was a bad looking one too. She was very slim. So if you, if you're really into that slim figure type, you know, she was there too. But the thing I didn't like about these two. And you could tell this was it was the slim one that was basically the mastermind of this. From the moment these two got in there, they started taking selfies and they started taking pictures on their cell phones, just posing all over the place and taking pictures instead of socializing. I mean, they socialized a little bit, but they were doing more picture taking than socializing. Okay. And and the way they were doing it, it was almost it was almost sickening. Because they they, they 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 would stand in different areas of the of the pool and the bar and they would just take multiple pictures. They must have taken no less than two hundred pictures in the time frame that they were there. But you see, this is this is a phenomenon that is not strictly those two that have been afflicted with this this whole picture taking thing okay this was something that just about every young woman in ghana is doing now taking pictures for for instagram and and tiktok and snapchat or whatever to the point that they're missing out on the party and not even knowing that they're missing out on the party like like young people today don't know how to have a good time the way those of us that are a little bit older used to have a good time back in the day. And it's a damn shame because they don't know what they're missing out on. Okay. A young person today goes into a party, especially a female. And I can guarantee you, if they spend three hours at the party, two out of those three hours are spent taking pictures and posting them on Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media platforms. To them, that is their idea of having a good time. Their idea of having a good time is taking pictures, posing with bottles and taking pictures to show to the world that, oh, we here. This is what we're doing right now. When the reality, the the, the truth of the matter is they're not actually enjoying or living the moment. They're actually more self-absorbed in their phones. Or spending more time on their phones than actually living the moment and actually enjoying the party. And it's a damn shame. 
you know, if you're my age, I'm 43 now. When I was like these kids age 23, you know, between between the ages of 23 and 33 or even between the ages of 23 and 30. This was before Instagram. This was before Facebook. Okay, maybe not before Facebook, but this was before Facebook really took off. Okay, this was this was before smartphones. Let's talk about before smartphones, before iPhone came out and people couldn't take pictures on their phones. When you went to a party, there was no selfies to be taken. You when you went to a party, you went to a party. I'm coming to party. You went, you drank. You ate and you danced and you socialized and you got to know the other people that were at the party. That is how I partied or that is how my generation partied. These kids these days have no idea how to party. None whatsoever. If your idea of partying is spending 80% on the phone. (laughs) Oh man. Then you don't know how to party. You don't know how to party. So those two were there doing that. And you could tell again. The slimmer one was the one that was taking the most pictures. Because every time I looked up. The camera was in. The the one with the braids was in her hands. And she was taking a picture of the slim one. So you know the slim one is the one who was. The kind that takes a thousand pictures only to select the best one. Okay. And I was just looking at her like, man, y'all stupid as hell. (laughs) It was so bad that I, again, hopefully I'm able to have a party of my own down there in Ghana at some point in time. And if I do, if I do. I do have a party again at some point in time in Ghana there will be a no cell phone policy in place and if you can't abide by that policy you ain't coming in I don't care how fine you are oh it'll be for the females it it ain't gonna be for the guys it's gonna be for the females there will be a no cell phone policy for females if you want to take pictures I will have a professional photographer there that can take pictures of y'all and send them to you later. But you ain't turning yourself into the party photographer while you're there. No way. Mm-mm. It is time we went back to the old ways of doing things. Especially partying. I mean, it... it, it. <laughs> So they were doing their thing and then there were other groups of girls that came in and there was another pair of uh, girls that came in and they also went to the side. Well, that pair was invited by me. They were from they were they were a pair from um, my first trip to Ghana. And for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, uh, go and look for it. I think that would be episode 51. Episode 51, 52, and 53. That's where I was talking about my trip to Ghana in 2019 in the spirit of the year of the return. Go listen to those episodes and you know who I'm talking about. They also came in 
and they also went to a different section of the party we're also doing that whole picture bullshit thing so that's that's when i was like you know what yeah that's when in my mind i realized you know what if you ever have a party man you can't have these young girls bring their phones in you come and check your phone at the counter and come and have a good time come and fraternize okay come and socialize come and get to know the other people at the party and actually have a good time live in the moment not on your phone anyway oh actually i forgot there was a there was a, a third young female that came in it was someone that i also knew from my first visit to ghana and um she she came in she was invited by my cousin my cousin and, and her because my cousin knew her from my first trip uh so my cousin invited her and um but we had a surprise for her right the surprise being that remember how i told you guys my boy george landed that day so george came in and uh let's just say george kind of has a a relationship with this young lady here but he didn't tell her that he was coming so she comes in and she she's she's a bad broad man she's a bad broad i mean i'm talking a, a strong nine and a half out of ten strong okay she comes in she's dressed in all white i mean just looking superfluous okay and it's funny when she 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 was one of the ones that came early. So she she comes in early and she sees me and she says hi. Oh, how you doing? You know, it's been a while. I was like, yeah, yeah. How you been? You know, blah blah blah. Whoopty woo. And um, you know, I told her to have a seat, make herself comfortable, and all that good shit. Um. So, but I didn't tell her that George was coming. So like around I think around seven thirty, George comes in. But even prior to that, let, let, I skipped a step here. Prior to that, so when my friends started coming in, they saw the young lady, the lovely young lady sitting by herself. And uh, they all went and started talking to her, you know. <laughs> I guess they thought she was there by herself, which, which she kind of was technically. But they didn't know that, uh, listen, this one is spoken for. Okay, so they, they, came, they, they came in, they saw her, they were like, damn. I gotta go see what's up with that <laughs> and i didn't i didn't tell them anything either i was like i'm gonna let these fools waste their time <laughs> until the real owner comes in so like around i think it was like around 7 30 george george rode in and uh i saw him i'm like yo what's up i knew he was already in town because he landed in the afternoon he just went to his hotel to take a nap so he rode in and uh he rode in and he went straight to the young lady and you could tell she saw him and she she kind of like <laughs> I, I saw him talking to her and you know women she she got a little emotional and i, I think she started crying a little bit <laughs> because she didn't expect she didn't expect him to show up that night but here he was in the flesh and uh, I thought it was cute how she, she, you know, her eyes started tearing and watering up a little bit. Um, so that was that. And then um, and a few other people came in, uh, you know, my, my mates, Jagu. Let me see. The ones that were there, it was, it was, it was uh, 
and I'm, I'm gonna mention them all by their nicknames. It was King Pono. King Pono showed up. So big shout out to him. Uh, Jagu showed up. Obwasi showed up. Longus showed up. Uh, my buddy Javis showed up. Um, my 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 doctor friend showed up, and the big man, uh, Big Mike, our friend Mike also showed up. Uh, so as far as my classmates go, those were the ones that showed up. I didn't invite too many classmates. It was just you know a few, um, a few guys. So they showed up, and it's funny. It's interesting. The big man, the big man. Actually was out of town But he was returning that day From the Congo And um, It's funny because When I was leaving the states I had planned to buy some cigars Right for the party And I forgot So I told George I said to George I said when you're coming Please get us some cigars And George was like okay But then he also forgot But God being The kind benevolent and considerate father to me that he is right guess what when big man Mike rode into the party looking larger than life when he rode into the party guess what he had guess what he had for me he had a cigar for me and I had never even told Mike that every now and then I enjoy an occasional cigar I hadn't told him that but God put it in his mind that you know what, Big Mike, when you go down to the party there, James is going to need a cigar. And I'm not talking some cheap cigar. I'm talking a fancy cigar, the kind you smoke with your rich friends. So get him one. So Mike shows up. Me and him are like, yo, what's up, man? It's been a minute. Yo, what a big dog. What a big man. What a big bro. And all that stuff. And he hands me the cigar. And I'm looking at it like, oh, man, are you for real right now? So I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. You know, it was, it was a nice surprise. And it's funny. When he rode in, he rode in with a young lady that was a friend of my cousin's. I guess they walked into the elevator together. And uh, all night, you know, the two of them were kind of cozying up to each other. And it, it was nice. It was, it was just nice. Now, see, that friend of my cousins, she came to have a good time. I never saw her on the phone once. She was there to have a good time. She knew what she wanted. And, and what she wanted was to come and party. But it's understandable. She, she's in her mid-30s. These are the foolish ones that were on the phone the whole time. They were like in their mid-twenties. So clearly you can see the age gap makes a difference. You understand? Um, and then there were other... There were still there were still more friends of my cousin trickling in. There was this other one. She's... um, I think she's like half Liberian... Uh, not Liberian. Uh, half Lebanese or something. Mm. You know, attractive young lady, you know, in her mid-30s. She's like my cousin's age, you know. And uh, she came in. She was at one point dancing with my doctor friend. Because my doctor friend is the biggest womanizer you'll ever see on the planet Earth. He's a player. Okay. <laughs> Big shout out to you, Doc. I know you're listening. But, um, so Doc was, was, was fraternizing, flirting left and right with them. Another person that was flirting left and right too was Jagu. 
I saw him over there. Jagu was over there flirting left and right, doing what he had to do. <laughs> um. Oh, and that reminds me. So when we when we went into the 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 place for the party, right? One of the things that I noticed, um, there were people in the reserved space for us. And there were a couple of times where I had to let the hotel management know that, hey, listen, when I was booking this place, I don't recall anyone giving me money to add to the money that I was giving to you. Okay, so please get rid of these motherfuckers over here, please. Can you? That shit was so annoying. So annoying. And it's something that, you know, I mean, it, man, the way the way they do things in Ghana sometimes, man, just just mind-boggling i've paid for an avenue well i've paid for a venue not an avenue i've paid for a venue and here you have me cohabitating the space with someone well you got to give me some money back then but anyway so yeah there there were uh, occasionally some people would come in if, if it was a couple of girls or something that would come in unknowingly because they didn't know there was a party going on uh, you know i wasn't in a rush to kick them out you know what i'm saying but if it was a dude a couple dudes would roll in every now and then like no yo man y'all y'all need to get these dudes the hell on out of here man don't want no dudes up in here too much testosterone you know I, you got when you're having a party you really want to make sure that the testosterone to estrogen ratio is, is, is like a, a one to three ratio. Okay. One testosterone to three estrogens. That's how you have a party. Okay. I'm trying to turn it into no fucking sausage fest. But anyway. So, yeah. So, as the, and again, as the night rolled, you know, on. You know, at some point we started eating. The food was delicious. The the food I gotta say was 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 nice and delicious. And we're eating the food, you know, to the music, the whack music the DJ was playing. But you know, it was all good. And at and at some point in time, at some point in time, the party became it it became a grown and sexy affair in the sense that, you know, me and most of my friends left except for um Doc and big man Mike and George and his girl and so at some point it became very intimate it became a very intimate affair and, and that was when you know the party actually started becoming even more enjoyable okay because now you're really surrounded by people who were there to party not people who were there to stay on their phones you understand so um, as the night went on and 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 ironically as as the crowd got smaller or as the you know as the group got smaller and more intimate the party started becoming more enjoyable and um then they brought the cake out and you know and the whole time the photographers were taking pictures of us and my cousin my cousin was posing all around the different areas of the hotel or by the pool taking pictures and whatnot and it was nice it was nice again i gotta say the food was excellent the food was on point and there was so much food i i I don't even know why there was so much food (laughs) there was so much food um and for drinks remember how i told you guys they couldn't figure out what the open bar thing was so we ordered just a few drinks but we had backup drinks in the car 
in an ice box downstairs and we you know we told people listen if you want more drinks just go downstairs tell joe and joe will take you downstairs there's some drinks sitting on ice and you know um he will give you what you want understand so we made do of uh of, of what we had and and we had a good time we had a good time um considering the fact that we had a party during corona and the fact that you know we had to practice social distancing and all that stuff we we made out good we made out good you understand um yeah so it, it, it was good my, my cousin was happy my my friends uh, jagu pulled me to the side he was like you know this thing you did for your cousin is a good thing it's a good thing and i said yeah i know i mean she's my cousin and i promised it to her i mean what was i gonna do not have the party for her <laughs> you know so um i'm trying to see what else what else happened during the party oh yeah so like around um i think it was like i think we were there till like maybe about 11 but like right around almost 11 o'clock here comes some more people coming in these other females that were my cousin's friends they kept coming in and it's like why the fuck would you wait till 11 o'clock to come to the party this is not a house party this is a party that's being held at a venue that expects us to leave at some point in time you understand so why are you coming this late oh man and and the thing is uh, there was no excuse for them being late because we purposefully for this reason held the party on a saturday so that people it would be a day off for people and people would have the time to prepare and to come in i mean we we already factored in the african time mentality but still someone tells you to come to a party at four and you're showing up at 11 <laughs> i mean seriously <laughs> But um, again, we made do of what we could. Uh, we made do of what we had. It, it would have been a much more exciting party if certain rules and regulations had been put in place beforehand. But you see, hindsight is twenty twenty. Knowing what I know now, okay, and for anybody else that's listening, if you ever plan on, on throwing a party and you know that a big demographic are going to be young ladies in their mid-twenties you need to have a no cell phone policy firmly in place and let them know this beforehand like you ain't bringing your phone up in here and wasting time taking pictures that shit is not happening okay <laughs> you need to make that known otherwise you're gonna have a whole bunch of dudes looking at you like, yo, man, I thought you said it was going to be a bunch of honeys up in here, man. Yeah, the honeys are here, but look at what they're doing. You understand? Anyway, so that was that. And uh, by 11, we started packing up. Uh, and then we 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 all went to our respective hotels and, and apartments and, and whatnot. But we we had a good time. We had a good time. You know. 
anyway um let's take a quick break again uh and when i come back i'll wrap this thing up don't go nowhere Before I wrap this thing up, I'd like to give a big shout out to my two nephews, Mickey and Andy, uh, down there in Ghana. I had promised Andy. Andy had asked me if I was gonna talk about the <laughs> the shit that's going on with Kanye West, <laughs> and I had promised him I was going to do that, but I don't have the time today to do that. Um, so I, I will address that on the next episode. But but what's going on with him really is it's very simple. Uh, Kanye just needs help. Kanye West just needs help. The guy is worth over 1.8 billion dollars. He can afford the best health care in the world. He can afford to see the best psychiatrists in the world. But in order for him to even do that, the first step he needs to take is to admit that he has a problem. And he's refusing to do that. He's refusing to admit he has a problem. And until he does that and gets the help that he needs, we're, we're going to continue to see more episodes like this. It's hard for some men to get over some women, man. It's very, very, very hard for some men to get over some women. Okay. And especially if if the man is not mentally strong. And the woman has given him some good, good loving. And now she's in the company of another man. All the man can think, all, all her ex can think of is all the good loving she's given the new man. And that's what Kanye is, is, is experiencing. That's what he's going through right now. But it's it's needless, it's, it's not necessary for him to go through that. It's not necessary. You think if I had $1.8 billion, I'd be moaning and, and whining over one broad? When there are like, what, 3 billion other broads on the planet? Or maybe 4 billion other broads on the planet? 
I mean, you Kanye West for goddamn sake. You, you. Eh. But this is how powerful. This is how powerful. Sometimes a woman's claws can sink into a man. This is how powerful, you know, the effect that a woman can has on a man sometimes. You see? Now, the Kardashian clan, the Kardashian brood, uh, the less said about them, the better. Because we've all seen what happens to the men they, they, they end up with, right? We've all seen the outcome of any relationships they usually have. Or any relationship they've been in. And it usually doesn't end well for the men. So I don't think that anyone expected it. Uh, the Kanye and Kim. I don't think anyone expected them to fare any different than the others. You understand? I usually joke about the men that have dated the Kardashians. I joke about them to my wife and say... All of them, when they date the Kardashians and they're leaving, they usually leave their balls behind. And the balls are in a case filled with uh, a, a glass jar of formaldehyde in some some secret room in the Kardashian household. And here I was thinking that Kanye escaped with one of his balls. Well, it turns out that two balls are still hanging in the Kardashian house. Based on the way he's behaving now, his balls are gone. They're in the formaldehyde, in the glass jar. With his name on the on the glass jar. Yay. Y-E. Anyway. Hopefully that dude will seek some help, man. Hopefully that dude will seek some help. Alright, Andy. So hopefully uh, I have addressed the issue for you. I didn't even think I'd be able to address it this quickly. In such a short amount of time. But I have. So anyway. That will be all for today folks. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.